Hi, this is Joel Morgan, the voice of Valley City State University in Valley City, North Dakota. I think it's safe to say that every broadcaster's goal is to be the best they can be at their craft. But just like anything else, if you don't have a game plan, it's hard to execute. Looking to set my goals for the upcoming season, I submitted my audio to the critique crew at SayTheDamnScore.com. Within a week, I got back a written critique, which included areas of improvement, my strengths, and a fresh set of ideas to help improve my broadcast. With the help of the critique crew at SayTheDamnScore.com, I now have a game plan for improvement. So I suggest if you're looking to get better, step up your game and get a fresh set of ears on your play-by-play, visit SayTheDamnScore.com today. Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome, everyone, to episode 61 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, a play-by-play broadcaster in South Dakota, and this podcast is dedicated to talking about the sportscasting industry with sportscasting professionals at all levels from around the country. Today, I'm happy to welcome on the number three voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, Lane Grindle. Lane, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it, Logan. I, I have listened to a lot of your podcasts uh, over the last few months, and uh, I really love what you're doing, and I think it's a cool thing. All right. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I mean, besides the fact that you're an excellent broadcaster with a major league team, is that you used to work at the same station that I currently work at, uh, Classic Hits 106.3 ESPN Radio 15. 15- in Yankton, South Dakota. They were probably called something different back then, but it's the same uh, same call letters. And I guess I just wanted, I was asking the employees who are still around at that station for stories about you to bring up, and no one could give me any. Oh, no. No one could give me any. And I was like, that seems oh. really unlikely. So I wanted to say you made it through <laughs> your time there. And I think there's only three employees who are still there when you were there. It's been a little while, but there's only none of them had any dirt on you. Well, that's you know I think that's a that's a positive thing. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. I was a little nervous when you first said that. You know, you just never know. I was I was a lot younger, um, and for a good chunk of my time there, I was still in college actually. Um, so I got that job after my first kind of stint in radio at all which was after my, my sophomore year of, of college, I reached out to 1620 The Zone in Omaha and Kevin Kugler and said, hey, I, I would love to find a way to intern for you guys this summer. And they said, well, we can't pay you, but come down and do it. So I interned for them for a summer, and then they kind of helped me get my foot in the door. With At the time, it was Colhane Communications, and uh, Kevin Colhane, of course, owned the stations at that time. And they got my foot in the door there for an interview to come back up there as a part-time board operator when I went back to college in the fall. And so going into my junior year, that's, that's what I did. I started working at, uh, it was mix 106.3 at that point in time, but KVHT. And then, um, the AM side was 1570 KVTK changed the name of that station a couple of times while I was there. At one point it was, uh, just 
ESPN fifteen seventy. Another point, it was fifteen seventy the ticket, and um, I worked for both of those, and it was a uh, it was really the best thing that ever could have happened to me for my career, Logan, because what it did for me was it gave me all this hands on experience that I wasn't going to get in college. Um, you know, you go to college and, and it's really important. And I learned a lot of things about my business in college. I don't want to say that I didn't, I'm a proud university of South Dakota alum and their, uh, contemporary media and journalism degree that I got there has been very valuable to me in many, many ways, especially from like a, a media law standpoint and some of that stuff. But what you can't replace in our business is hands-on experience. That's so critical. It's so important. And the sooner you can get it, the better off you're going to be. And working for a guy like Kevin Colhane, who owned the stations at the time, as I just mentioned, was the perfect thing for me because what he did was reward guys that uh, or gals that were ambitious, that were willing to create opportunities for themselves and willing to think outside the box and work hard. And I was eager and willing to do all those things. And so it started out as a board operator. But then I think it was uh, my first year there, there was a University of South Dakota women's basketball game in Omaha over Thanksgiving break. And, and I grew up just outside of Omaha. And so I emailed Kevin and just said, hey, I'm going to be back for Thanksgiving uh, if you need me to come to that game and I don't know, do stats, whatever, I'm, I'd love to do it. And he wrote me back and said, I might have you do the game. I'd never done a game before in my life. I was going to do color for that game. Eric Rawson, who also worked uh, former USD basketball player, also worked for Kevin at the time. He was going to do play by play and I was going to do color. And so I did color for that game and Kevin liked what he heard, gave me some high school games the rest of that year. And uh, it really took off from there. And, and you know, a, a, a year later, I started the talk show on 1570, and and I was doing a lot of coyote athletics at that point in time too. I was doing most of the women's basketball games on the radio, or a good chunk of them. I was doing quite a handful of the men's basketball games at that point in time, and I was doing sidelines for coyote football. That really all happened within about a year of me starting with Colhane Communications and 106.3 and 1570 the ticket and. Boy, it was such a great head start for me uh, to get all that experience and, and and just get my career off and running. What was your favorite part about, obviously you're from a very small town in Hastings, Iowa, but being in a small market radio station, what was your favorite part of of not having, I've just about answered the question for you of what my, my answer would have been, so I'm not going to do that, but what was your favorite part of being in yeah. a small town? Well, what I liked about, first off, Yankton's a really unique town in itself. Uh, you have the lake, you have the river, um, you have a lot of cool things built around that. Riverboat days are, are I mean, that's that was one of my favorite weekends of the year, every year. So Yankton's, to me, it's a really neat, cool town. It's a sports-crazy town. Uh, they love their bucks and gazelles. It's a big deal. Um, I remember going to Yankton Quarterback Club every Monday and, and looking forward to it. You know, it was always fun to go listen to whoever it was they're bringing in as the speaker that day and seeing all those other people that were so engaged and, and active in the sports community of Yankton. So I really enjoyed that. I also enjoyed, Logan, going around to the small towns outside of Yankton, whether it was Freeman or whether it was crossing the river and going down to Why Not. 
Um, wherever I was headed to, uh, I enjoyed that. You know, I did some baseball for the South Central League. Uh, and, I mean, I did a couple games from the KVHT van on a cell, you know, on a bag phone behind home plate and a chain link fence. And I just pulled the van up behind it and did baseball games that way. Uh, and I always remember that. I always think back to that when I, when I'm, you know, doing games at Wrigley field or wherever I'm at now doing games. Um, that's always something that I think back to. It's kind of a fun little anecdote, you know, that, that that's how I started calling baseball games, but I loved all of that. I love being involved in the community in Yankton and in Vermillion as well. Um, but more than anything, what I loved and why it was perfect for me was because it, it really, especially on the AM side, 1570, the ticket, it kind of became my baby. And it was a blank canvas in many ways for me. And I had an owner that was willing to give me all that runway to do at that station that I wanted. And, you know, we launched a, a, a couple of talk shows at one point. We had two different talk shows, which is really unheard of in a market that size at that point in time. And we were a little different type of talk show. We were a little edgier. Um, we, we were a little bit more critical of things. I mean, we weren't critical of high school sports. Um, that, that would have been out of bounds. But we would be critical of other college programs or decisions that were made at the collegiate level. And I think that really carved out a little niche for that show because there wasn't a lot of that in the market at that point in time, whether it was in Sioux Falls or Yankton or Sioux City or wherever. And I think that that drew some people that wouldn't normally listen to us to, to listen to us at that point in time. And I made a lot of mistakes and it was a, it was a, a place where I could make a lot of mistakes and learn. And it wasn't the end of the world because I had an owner that had my back and, and was willing to take me off to the side and, and uh, show me the way if I, if I did screw up. And I, and I worked with Joe Van Gore, who was a veteran at the time too. And so I learned a lot about play by play and about relationship building from him too. And, uh, it was, uh, that's what made it perfect for me. I, I can't imagine. I've often thought back when I was getting ready to go to college, I had some opportunities to play sports and I was looking at playing football at some places. And I was also getting recruited to run track. And I had committed to play football at Nebraska Wesleyan. I grew up about an hour outside of Lincoln over in Hastings, Iowa, and I wanted to play football and uh, I got an opportunity to go to Wesleyan and play football. And so I was headed uh, to, to Nebraska Wesleyan. It was all systems go. And at the last second, USD kind of swooped back in and wanted to recruit me to run track. And I, I thought, well, I'll listen to it and see what their pitch is. And uh, I really fell in love with the, the coach, Dave Gottsleben. I just knew he was a guy I was going to really enjoy. I had had a bunch of concussions. I'd had four concussions in high school. And back then, it wasn't what it is today, where I wouldn't have been allowed to even think about playing football anymore at that point. Um, but they were going to let me play, but they also were a little concerned about it. My doctors were. And so at the, at the last second, I switched and decided to go to USD and go there and run track. And I've always thought back, what if I would have gone to a bigger school? What if I would have gone to Nebraska? What if I would have gone to another bigger school and had that big school experience? And I'm glad that I didn't, uh, even though I think I would have had a great time and I would have enjoyed it, it would have completely changed my path to where I am today. And had I not started at Colhane Communications, don't know that I'd be where I am today because of all the experience I got to get while I was still in college. You mentioned you made plenty of mistakes, and I just published an article of the dumbest things I have ever done in my broadcasting career uh, on and off the mic. What were a couple of the dumb moments that you had early on? 
I remember one thing specifically, and uh, well, I, I can think of two, um, two really distinct ones that have stayed with me for a long time, and I think they've helped me uh, in my career since then. The first one was I got really emotional on the air doing USD sports. And that's okay. I think it's good to get emotional on the air. But a few times, I was probably over the top. And I called out the, the refs on the air. Uh, I was like overly critical, like to, to, to too much of a degree, where I was being so biased that it was getting in the way of my reporting of the game. And the, the first couple times I did that, I got pulled aside by the assistant SID at USD. His name is Jared Dahlgren. And I probably should tell him this someday because I really owe him a big thank you. And Jared was a friend of mine. And he was another younger guy, the guy that had graduated from the University of Nebraska and was working at South Dakota. And he said, hey, you do what you want. Because he would sit by me courtside during the games. Because you do what you want. I'm not trying to get in the middle of your broadcast. But he said, I really think you would do yourself a service to not make it so personal when you're upset about a call. He said, if there's a bad call, you should point that out. That's part of the game. But not every call is a bad call, and you don't have to be so emotional about it. Um, you can be more factual about it. And I remember that. At first, I was kind of like, you know, upset that he would say that to me. And then once I took a deep breath and really thought through it, I thought, yeah, he's right. You know, I, I think I am a little bit over the top of this. And from that point forward, I've never really been that way anymore. Um, you know, if there's a bad call, I'm still going to point it out, but I don't get so emotional where I'm blinded to everything else that's going on. So that was one. The second mistake that I made seems harmless enough, but man, it, it stuck with me and it's helped me a lot as my career has gone forward. And it was, I was doing an interview on my talk show and the cell dropped out of my guest. And when we got them hooked back up, I made kind of a backhanded comment about cell service and cell phones. And it seemed harmless enough. But the manager of one of the cell phone companies in Yankton that was a sponsor at the time called and he was just he was pretty disappointed that I would say that. You know, that's that's a product that he's selling and it's a pretty important product. And it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like we had big meetings about it or anything like that. But uh I got a phone call from Kevin Colhane. He said, Hey, that's a sponsor of ours. And even though you didn't call out the sponsor, the product that he sells is pretty important. And that might not have been the smartest thing you could have done. Next time you probably should handle that differently. And I remember thinking about that and going, wow, yeah, I had, I had not put myself in, in that kind of a, in those kind of shoes. I hadn't thought about that from a sponsorship standpoint. And so I learned from that. And you know, when I ended up in Nebraska, I ended up being, somebody that sold sponsorships as well as doing the on-air stuff. And so it was really easy to always remember that when I was on the air, that you're doing a service for your, for your advertisers and for your sponsors on top of your listeners, and you want to do a good job for everybody. You know, I actually have a very similar story to that where is, uh, we had a sponsor on a Pick'em show where uh, Hy-V was the sponsor, and they would send one of their managers on to pick, pick the games. And they were always they always liked to point out that Kurt Warner used to work at their Iowa, their Iowa store in yeah. Cedar Falls or Des Moines yep. or wherever the heck it was. And then one day I compared the Browns quarterback to 
uh, a competing grocery store that was also a sponsor, just not of that show. And it, it was pretty similar. Yeah. They they were not thrilled with it. It did not ruin the sponsorship. <laughs> but um, it was interesting that, that, that similar things obviously happen across the board, that it's not yeah. unique. But piggybacking on that, you mentioned that you were kind of an edgy show on your talk show in a small market. And sometimes that's hard to do because... I mean, there's a limited number of sponsors that you can have for your talk show. And if you, uh, for lack of a more diplomatic way to say it, piss the wrong one off, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not New York or even Omaha where you can just find someone else. How did you balance being critical and being edgier than other small town shows while still keeping sponsors happy? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and I don't know that I have a great answer to it because um, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. I was young, and I don't think I knew any better. <laughs> you know, I, I just think that uh, my version of what I was going to do was give my opinion, and sometimes my opinion wasn't going to be really popular, but I was pretty un- unapologetic about my opinion back then. I really changed a little bit in that way as I got older in the business, but um, my early days of sports talk, uh, I had a lot of hot takes, whether it was about the Vikings, uh, because there was a lot of Vikings fans in that area and I didn't grow up a Vikings fan. So if they had, you know, situations that people, uh, were talking about and I had a different take on it, I offered it. Sometimes I made people mad that were Vikings fans in the area. Um, you know, when South Dakota state was making the move to division one at that point in time. And I was on the wrong side of that one. I thought that was crazy. And it's been the best move that South Dakota State could have ever made, and they blazed a path in that. And as a USD alum, that kind of hurts me to say, but I give them a lot of credit. Uh, they, they had a lot of vision when they did that, and, it's, and the, I can't even imagine what those schools would be like right now had they not gone Division One. And, of course, USD followed soon a few years after I left. So, um, you know, some of my opinions and some of my takes were wrong, but they – I think we both know that that's how sports talk works. You don't have to be right. You just have to have a take. <laughs> and and uh, hopefully it's an entertaining take. And so that's kind of where I was on a lot of things. I had some sponsors that came to me about things that I said, you know, if I was critical about something and they were a fan of that team or whatever. But for the most part, that didn't become a huge issue at any point in time. The biggest challenge for me was that I was working hand-in-hand with the USD Athletic Department on a lot of stuff. Whether I was doing women's basketball or men's basketball or sidelines for football, um, you know, I was very close with Ed Meyercourt's football staff at USD. You know, guys like Glenn Caruso and uh, Mike Friedel, who, of course, is no longer with us anymore. And Mike was one of my favorite guys I've ever covered from a coaching standpoint. And, of course, Ed himself, who I, I, I still talk to to this day. I was close with those guys. And there were times they were mad at me about something I said. I'd get a phone call from Ed, and he wouldn't be happy with me. And we'd, we'd kind of just talk through it. And we were good friends, so we could kind of do that. And, and I think the relationships I built allowed me to do that because they knew at the end of the day that I, that I, was, I was with them, that I was going to be fair. But um, if they didn't agree with me, they'd tell me. I mean, I'd get calls from Mike Friedel all the time. And they were always really cordial, and it was always, you're wrong, and here's why. And sometimes we'd maybe go grab a beer and talk about it. But that's what I really enjoyed about that group of guys. They were 
They were really normal guys. They understood I had a job to do. And they were so excited that they had somebody covering them that way because very few people covered them that way back then. And so I think they knew that that publicity was good publicity for them, and it ginned up some interest, and they liked that part of it. So they would be patient with me even if I had an opinion that they didn't agree with all the time. So one of the things that I find for lack of a better word, inspiring about your success is you, you don't really have any way of noticing this, but you know, you're from, correct me if I'm wrong, about 15, 20 minutes Southeast of Omaha. Yeah, probably like 30, 35. Yeah. Okay. I'm from about 15 minutes North of Omaha. So pretty similar areas. And, you know, coming from a small town in Nebraska, I've always felt like there's a certain element of the industry that just, you know, regardless of credentials or that they just won't take you seriously because you're from the middle of nowhere, you can't possibly, you know, be relevant. And having someone like you to succeed and kind of burn that path, Kevin Kugler as well, is good. Did you ever find it more difficult to do it coming from where you are and going to a small school and not going to a broadcast factory than if you had done otherwise? Well, I'll tell you this much. I never thought anything of being from Hastings, Iowa, being any kind of a limitation for me. Uh, I just never looked at it in that way. And so really, until you said that right then, I had never even thought of it that way. I I never, it, it never crossed my mind. Now, I will tell you the second part to that in terms of coming from a broadcast factory, that's hard. Uh, I, I think that uh, you can look around and, and I think we all know which school a good, good chunk of the broadcasters come from, <laughs> Syracuse, right? Um, it's amazing. And you know what? They have a great, great program, and they have turned out a ton of just elite broadcasters. So the proof is in the pudding. But it can be kind of frustrating sometimes because you know, like, hey, uh, and I haven't gone for a lot of jobs. That's that's one difference between myself and maybe some other guys is that, you know, I was at USD. I worked at, at Culling Communications for about a year after I graduated, even though I worked there all the time that I was going to school there. And I kind of stumbled into the Nebraska job. And then I really didn't try to get out of Nebraska until I got the Brewers job. So it was a little different for me. but. But you could look at other jobs and see guys get them, and you, you before you even look, you go, "I bet he, I bet he went to Syracuse," <laughs> and he did, you know. And again, like I said, the proof's in the pudding. They've done a tremendous job. They've turned out a lot of guys. But I think that can be a little bit challenging at times. I still think if you're good enough, that uh, as long as you're good enough and you have the willingness to work, the willingness to network, and you can make some connections, you're going to have success in this in this industry. I really believe that. Um, you got to have patience. That's maybe the other thing that's the most important part of it all is to be willing to wait for your shot. Um, but I do think it helps if you have a certain name next to your degree. And I think anybody that's in this business knows if, if Syracuse is next to your name, that's, that's not going to hurt you one bit. You mentioned in that thought that you just kind of stumbled into the Nebraska job. How did that happen? What were the series of events that led you to getting uh, work for, I believe it was Husker Sports Nightly was the first job in Lincoln? Yeah, so I I had interned at Omaha, as I said, with Kevin Kugler back in, that would have been the summer of 2002. 
And that was really my first foray into broadcasting in any respect at all. My first assignment for them was to go cover a Lincoln Southeast baseball game that a kid named Alex Gordon was playing third base in. And I didn't do play-by-play. I was just doing call-ins for their afternoon talk show with updates because it was the state tournament. And so I worked for them for that summer as an unpaid intern. And I made a connection with Kevin Kugler. Uh, we just, we hit it off. I, I don't even know how to explain it. But I knew right away that was a guy I wanted to be like. And I think he knew right away that, uh, you know, we just, we were similar people. And we, we would end up being really best friends. I mean, I, I to this day, that's like 16 years ago. But I can tell you, Kevin's pretty much my best friend. And it's really wild to think that I was just this college kid He's this sports talk show host and that all this has happened since then, really in both of our careers. But he, he was fairly connected in the Nebraska scene at that point in time. And so uh, two years later, I was still working for Colhane Communications, but that summer I decided I was going to come home uh, for the summer. I wasn't working full-time for, for Colhane Communications yet. And I was going to just basically – do whatever 1620 needed me to do. And the main thing they were going to have me do was host their talk shows during their college world series week. So I did those and I worked with Michael severe who works for the Omaha world Herald now and does his own talk show and is a really talented guy. I worked with him on a lot of the shows and they ended up having me host some other shows throughout the course of the summer when guys would be gone or whatever uh, would happen. And through all of that, um, you know, I made a, an even closer connection to Kevin at that point in time. At the end of that summer, I went with him to Big 12 Media Days in Kansas City to help him get guests, essentially. I wasn't on the air at all. I was just running around getting players or coaches to come sit at the table with Kevin and, and do interviews. And right about that time, it was Pinnacle Sports Network at the time. and of course, changed to Oscar Sports Network shortly after I got hired there. Pinnacle Sports Network was going through a little bit of a, a change in terms of who was doing their nightly talk show called Sports Nightly. And I think there was interest in them from them at that point in time, maybe getting Kevin to come do the show. And Kevin liked what he was doing 1620. He liked the ability to um, to kind of have his own canvas that he was painting. And, and so he, he, he wasn't going to go in that direction. And he told me, you know what, you should you should look at that job. I was still in college. I, I didn't think there's any chance that they would take a look at me. He said, you should throw your stuff in and see what happens. Well, I, I ended up doing it and not hearing back. And they ended up promoting John Bishop, uh, who's a friend of mine to this day, uh, into that role at that point in time. But as we know, you fast forward another year. I graduate from college. They go through another transition where John's not going to do sports nightly anymore. And Kevin calls me again and says, this I think that you're a really good fit for this. I think you should really try to get this job. And a bunch of things happened. And I think they got to a point where they're really ready and eager to make a hire. (laughs) And I got a phone call one day asking me if I'd come down and interview on Saturday morning. And so I did it. And they offered me the job that day. I told, I had just gotten engaged. So I told them I had to go back and talk to my fiance first before I officially accepted. And I thought Paul Aaron was going to fall out of his chair. (laughs) <laughs> and I told him I needed to talk to my fiance first because he said, I'm giving you the job of a lifetime here. This is a huge break for you. And I said, look, I'm going to take the job. I just want to make sure I talk to her before we make it official. 
And so then that all came together that way. It, it really wasn't um, a true, I applied, they went through a bunch of tapes and I went through a long process of interviewing with phone interviews and everything else. It was, it all came together really, really fast. And I took the job and a couple of weeks later, I was working for Pinnacle Sports Network hosting their nightly talk show called Sports Nightly. And of course, my career grew within that company over 10 years uh, quite a bit and changed. My role changed a lot within the company quite a bit, but that's how it all started. And it was really kind of, I mean, I hate to say this, uh, in, in some ways, and this, this is how the business works sometimes, it was dumb luck that I fell into it in, in, in many ways. I was 24 years old. I don't think I knew what I didn't know yet. I probably wasn't entirely ready for it. Um, so some of those things I kind of had to learn on the fly, but it was the break of a lifetime for me. And I had 10 of the best years of my life working there and covering the program and, and having four children in the process. And uh, I mean, there's just, uh, that was such a great, great experience. And I'm so lucky that it all fell together like, like it did. So doing Husker sports nightly meant taking, um, I'm a huge Husker fan, so I'm going to preface this question with that, but there's a lot of very unrealistic Husker fans out there that like to call into the sports talk shows and say ridiculous things. What are a couple of the <laughs> craziest calls that you got during your 10 years with oh, that Oh, boy. That is a good question because I've got a bunch of answers. Uh, I'm going to just go with, for the sake of uh, condensing this, I'm going to go with the best one that I can remember. This, this is a podcast. And we can go all night. <laughs> there you go. So the best one I can remember, there's a lot that were similar to this. You know, look, 99.9% of Husker fans are really knowledgeable and they're really engaged. And it's that's what makes that job so fun is because Husker football is relevant in June. It's relevant in January. It's relevant in March. It doesn't matter. They're ready to eat that stuff up. And they're very locked in and they're very, very intelligent about the sport. But there's a few people that, sometimes would call in with some pretty outlandish suggestions. I would say that I think some of them weren't entirely sober would be my suspect. Yeah, I would suspect that by, <laughs> by going back and listening to some of these calls over and over again and kind of laughing. But one time after the USC football game in 2000, this would have been 2007, the home game, kind of the, the, the one that got the ball rolling in the wrong direction for Bill Callahan in 2007. That was a real heartbreaking loss for Husker fans, not in that it was a close game, but that and I think a lot of people had convinced themselves that Nebraska was ready now. They were ready to compete on that stage. And I remember Bill Callahan having Sam Keller take a knee at the end of walkthrough because they're going to be taking a knee at the end of the game. You know, it was one of those things. And so that game went horribly wrong, as we all know. People were outright upset after the game was over. And so we're getting a lot of angry phone calls, a lot of people that made very valid, very legitimate points. One guy called in after that. Can't recall his name. I probably wouldn't say it even if I could. But his suggestion was that one day Nebraska was going to get back to the glory days. And the reason why they were going to get back to the glory days is because they were going to change their football helmet and on one side of the helmet, it was going to be like metallic and almost like a hologram where it would show the, the, the skinny end. But then as, it, as you looked at it from another angle, it would, this helmet would be able to display the entire history of Nebraska football on the helmet 
via a hologram. And I, I didn't, I didn't know how to <laughs> respond to that. And I, I, I think I was doing that show at the time with Sean Callahan, who works for uh, Rivals and uh, HuskerOnline.com. And, he's, you know, everybody that follows the Huskers, if you listen to this podcast, you know who Sean Callahan is. He was co-hosting Big Red Reaction at that point in time with me. I only did Big Red Reaction for two years uh, on, the, on the network. And I think Sean's comment was, he quoted Billy Madison and said, I think we're all now dumber for having that, uh, explanation of how this guy thought that, you know, that was going to be the key to getting Nebraska back. There was a lot of kind of wild stuff like that. I think the most frustrating calls that you would get would be if Nebraska didn't look overly sharp one day and yet still found a way to win and won by like, let's say they still won by 21, 24 points. You would still have a lot of people in panic mode and, my response is always that, hey, look, there's going to be plenty of chances to hit the panic button over the course of 12 games. Let's not do it after a 24-point victory. <laughs> Let's, if you can't enjoy the win, this isn't going to be very much fun for you. And so that was kind of how – that was my take on it uh, through a lot of that. But, yeah, we got a lot of wild calls, a lot of, uh, a lot of great stories. I mean, there's just so many fun things that, that happen when you work somewhere for, for 10 years and you work with all the different people that, that I had the chance to work with. It was a, it, it was a, a tremendous experience. I still have a huge place in my heart for Nebraska. I'm still a Husker fan, and uh, always will be. Uh, that that that'll probably never change for me. And it's kind of fun now going back to being a fan after you know working for the network for so long, which was a little different dynamic. So when you took calls like that, did you have a screener who would give you a little like blip of what was coming, or was it all just uh, taking whoever happened to call? Well, I would get I would get the blip of what was coming, but it was hard for them in a in a short little condensed message sometimes to write into the call screener exactly what some of these people wanted to talk about. So usually it would say, you know, John in Columbus, and then under comments it would say uh, D line play, or it would say um, it would say, you know, defensive scheme or running game. What? something like that uh, i can't remember what it said in the call screener when the, the hologram helmet idea was floated but um <laughs> it didn't say that i know that <laughs> you know when you're at a place like that for 10 years and nebraska is uh, a job that a lot of people would love to have is your plan at that point certainly you're open to other possibilities but is your plan to kind of wait out uh, at that time it would have been uh, I don't know if it was it Jim Rose or was it Greg Sharp at that point. Was your plan to wait that out and hope that eventually you could pick up that job? So I span both of those guys. Um, you know, when Jim was first there, that was, yeah. I mean, so when I came there, I was just a talk show host. And then I transitioned into doing baseball play-by-play and sidelines for football. And... I definitely, you know, growing up, always wanted to be the voice of the Huskers someday. Uh, that was something I always thought would be really cool. That'd be really, really neat. And once we got the job in Lincoln and, and, and got down that path, I really just, I never saw myself leaving. Um, there was only really two jobs that I ever looked at while I was at Nebraska before the Brewers job came about. Um, one was a Colorado State play-by-play job. 
And uh, I think I was, I had a chance to get a little somewhere in that search back. I think this was clear back in 2008. And then Jerry Schemmel, who actually does Colorado Rockies games now. And uh, I've gotten to know Jerry over the last few years doing baseball. Jerry kind of threw his name in at the last second said, you know, I'd be interested in doing that. And he was living in Denver at the time and doing nuggets. And that kind of ended the search. I mean, at that point, that's a really qualified guy in Colorado state said, we're going to go with that guy. Um, that, so I had interest in that job. I don't know what would have come of it. I don't even know if I would have taken it for sure, to be honest with you, but I was interested in that job. And then the other one that I never even applied for, and I really didn't give it much thought at all, but I got a call one night when the rice play-by-play job opened up. And this was quite a few years ago too. And it was somebody with some connections in their athletic department. They said, I think we could get you in the mix here. Would you be interested? This would be a really good step for you. Um, to go on to a big power five job someday. And I think a lot of guys would have jumped at that if they were me. And I, I, I think I talked about it with my wife and thought about it for maybe an hour. And we decided not to even apply or not go for it. And my biggest thing was Logan, and this, this maybe isn't something I should really share, but I'm going to share it because it probably makes me look like such a Husker fan that, uh, <laughs> you know, but my biggest thing was I didn't think I could sit in the stadium covering rice football and wonder what the Nebraska score was on Saturday. I just didn't know if I could ever get past that. And so I said, no, nah, I'm going to stay put. I'm not going to apply for it. And neither of those jobs, I don't even know if I would have ever gotten either of those jobs. Um, but uh, that was, that was where I was at on it. It was just like, I, I can't shake the Huskers. Like I, I love this place so much. Uh, um, I just see myself here. So, you know, I don't know that I, I ever had it in my mind that I was going to wait anybody out, but I always had it in my mind that um, I, I would love that opportunity someday. And, um, you know, I worked there for 10 years. I got a chance to call one football game in 2008 when Greg Sharp's wife went into labor, and I was able to step in and pinch hit for him. And it was like basically 90 minutes before game time when we figured it all out, and I ended up calling the game, and it was a blast. I had a lot of fun with it. But Greg, Greg became one of my best friends very, very quickly. And I learned a lot from Greg Sharp. And I think he's one of the really talented play-by-play guys in the business. And so I never really looked at it like I'm going to try to wait him out and be the next voice of the Huskers. I just always looked at it like I love what I'm doing. I love this place. Uh, I'm really happy. They treat me really well. We're, we're getting taken care of. And so I'm going to do this as long as they'll have me. And if something happened at some point down the road, then yeah, I would take a look at that. That's kind of what my mindset was back then. And I really wasn't actively looking for anything when the Brewers job came about, but um, somebody saw it. They called me and said, you should take a look at this. And so after very little talking about it, my wife and I said, yeah, we'll, we'll apply for this one. And we did. And then it all kind of fell together with the Brewers job and it's major league baseball. That's a, I mean, you got to go when major league baseball calls your name in that situation. And, and it's been an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable, uh, you know, thing for us uh, making this transition to, to big league baseball. But um, yeah, I, I had a chance to work around Jim and Greg and, and Jim is a guy that uh, I learned, uh, you know, from early in, in my career, but I wasn't with Jim for as long. I was only with Jim for a couple of years and then really with Greg for the, the last eight years that I was there. And, um, I still talk to Greg almost every day. I mean, honestly, I probably talk to him three or four times a week 
still to this day, and I'm, I'm a couple of years removed from working with him on a daily basis. So I just never really looked at it in that way. I want to get to your Brewer stuff here in a minute, but I really want to follow up on having to pinch hit for a football game at the Division One level at Memorial Stadium with 90 minutes of prep time. You know, usually when you're doing a football game, that's a week-long process getting ready. How did you, how were you able to turn that around in 90 minutes? So we were actually in Manhattan playing Kansas State, and it was Bo Pelini's first year. Dominic and Sue uh, was kind of in the middle of his big surge. Uh, not not his senior year, but senior year. And we got done with the pregame show. You know, anybody that's listening that's not familiar with Nebraska, there's a there's a five hour pregame show. That's the longest broadcast in the country. And Matt Davison and I, Matt, who's still a good friend of mine to this day, we did the pregame show the first two hours of it. And so we got done with the pregame show, and Greg was getting ready to go on the air with his. He did his with Adrian Fiala, uh, who's also no longer with us anymore, but, um, uh, you know, was a guy that was just a mainstay and a staple of Husker Athletics for a long time. Greg was getting ready to do his pregame show with Adrian, and Amy Sharp, Greg's wife, called and said, uh, you know, my water broke. I think it's time to go to the hospital. And she's in Lincoln. He's in Manhattan. Uh, we don't know what to do. So Greg actually stays and finishes the pregame show. And then after the pregame show's over, you can tell that he's starting to think about this. And he's like, man, I, I don't know if I should miss the birth of my child. And so we kind of went in the hallway and we all talked it over. And I said, I, you know, you do what you need to do, but I can do this if you need me to. You really should be there with your wife. And so they got him a police escort out of town and he had his father-in-law, I think they're with him as well. So they got in the car, they got a police escort out of town and, and he made it back in plenty of time to be there for the birth of their daughter. In the meantime, I, I'm in a little bit of panic mode because I hadn't called a football game in a couple of years at that point, And I hadn't prepared to call the game. I mean, yes, I was a sideline reporter and you prepare, but it's a totally different type of preparation that you're doing as a sideline reporter as the the play-by-play guy so it was also a three-man booth it was myself and matt davison and adrian fiala so i had a couple of color guys too which makes it a little bit more challenging stepping in and navigating that right so uh greg had done all his prep he had all of his charts there and luckily for me we had uh a spotter who was and still is to this day an absolute all-star at spotting and that's Nate Rohr who does softball for Nebraska athletics and he's the PA announcer actually right now for Memorial Stadium and Nate was outstanding and he really carried me through that thing I mean nobody would have known it because they didn't hear Nate's voice but he is who got me through that game what I did when Greg decided to go is I I made the conscious decision not to cram And I didn't know if that was the right decision or not, but I thought if I sat there and just got all over the the charts and notes and and crammed that I was only going to make myself more nervous and that that would affect how I performed on the air in a, in an adverse way. So what I did is I called Kevin Kugler and there's a theme here. (laughs) I turned to him in these kind of moments. I called him, said he was doing college football for Western one at the time. And I think he had a night game and I just said, what do I do? And he said, go outside the stadium and walk around, just take a lap around the stadium and just clear your mind because that'll do more good for you than anything right now. And so I did that. 
And then the other piece of advice he gave me was don't be over the top. Don't try to make history with any of your calls. Be simple, be accurate, and enjoy it. Like, this is going to be fun for you. Have fun with it. And so that's really what I did. And that advice was great. Greg's charts were great. Nate Rohr was great. And then, of course, I was working with two guys that I was very familiar with, Matt and Adrian. Um, so that was, that, was, that was really cool. And it, it ended up being not, not a broadcast that was going to win a Marconi Award, but it ended up being uh, something I was proud of when it was all said and done. And I felt like we held it together really well. And uh, Jeff Colhane, of course, who I think you've had on this podcast before in the past, Correct. is one of my best friends. And it's probably crazy that we've talked this long and I haven't even brought Jeff's name up. Uh, Jeff was producing that broadcast for us. So like he was in my ear a lot over the course of the game and, and texting me as well saying, you're doing great. Stay on it. You're awesome. You know? And he was like encouraging me through it too, which helped because I, there was times where I was like, I hope I'm doing this right. <laughs> Uh, I had a lot of good people around me to help me get through that day. And, it, and it's still to this day one of my favorite days in broadcasting because of how it went about and what I got to do. And it was really neat. You mentioned Jeff Colhane, and I've, uh, I asked him this, a similar question on the podcast when he was on it a while back. And for those who don't know, he's the voice of the North Dakota State Bison. And I asked him how it helped him that he had another broadcaster with similar ability and ambition working with him, uh, you know, early on in his career and how that helped push him and uh, push him to get better, if, for lack of a better word. I'll ask you the same question. How did having that other person who could challenge you help you in your developmental stages? Uh, Jeff's been a big part of, of my career, and he's been a big part of my baseball call specifically. And I don't know if I've ever actually told him this, but – so, uh, you know, I, I had not done a lot of college baseball. Um, I had done, like, South Central League Baseball, which is an amateur baseball league in, like, northeast Nebraska and southeast South Dakota, and it's kind of a beer league, to be honest with you, is what it is. Um, so, it, you know, doing Nebraska baseball on a network was a, a little bit different animal for me at that point in time. And Jeff was producing those games for us. And he, he and I were good enough friends – and we, because we were similar age and similar ability, and we were so comfortable with each other that we, we still to this day will critique each other's work. And um, we're not afraid to tell the other one if they did something wrong and say, hey, I, you know, you did this and, and maybe you should think about doing it this way next time. I think that's one of the real strengths of Jeff and my relationship. We, we've never hurt each other's feelings, but we've never been worried about hurting each other's feelings. And so early on in my baseball play-by-play career, Jeff was on the board for almost all those games. Later on, we brought him in as part of our crew and started doing the games on the air. But like my first year or two, he pretty much was on the board and listening to, to those games. And when I did something he didn't like, he'd tell me. He'd maybe wait till the game was over. And I've always been pretty open to criticism and, and receptive to it. And I always knew Jeff had the right intention when he was telling me these things. And he's had a huge impact on me just in terms of my baseball call. We hosted a talk show together. We've called football games together. We've done so many different things together over the course of our careers. And all you need to know about what I think of Jeff Colhane is that we only worked together for like two months in Yankton. It was not a long overlap that we actually worked together. We knew each other for quite a while before he graduated from Dakota Wesleyan and came to Yankton and worked with us. And then I got the Nebraska job shortly after that. 
but he impressed me so much in those two months we worked together that the first chance I had to influence a hire at Nebraska, we hired Jeff. And um, then we kept promoting him once he got there. You know, all of a sudden now he's doing some baseball. Then when I left Sports Nightly, we had him replace me as the host of Sports Nightly. He's just, he's really good. And he is a hardworking guy, which is a big deal in this business. And I just trust him. You know, Jeff and I had a relationship, like when he produced Sports Nightly or when we when we hosted talk shows together or when we did baseball games together, that we had a nonverbal thing where we rarely even had to really talk about what we were going to do next or what we wanted on the show that night because we were always on the same page. And uh, that's what made it work so well for me with him for so many years working together because we just had a very similar view of radio and how it should be done. And um, we meshed really, really well together. And he's another one of my guys. It's one of my best friends to this day that I talk to frequently still. And I'm really proud of what he's done. I mean, he took a leap of faith by going to West Virginia and then of course, making his way back to North Dakota state. But um, I got a chance to turn on his final call in the national championship this year. And, you know, I was smiling and beaming ear to ear. Just really proud of him because um, he's a guy that's come a long ways as a broadcaster since I first met him. But I always knew he was going to do it because he's always had that ability. We've gone for f almost 49 minutes, and we haven't even gotten to the point uh, where we've asked how you got your major league job yet. So I suppose we should probably get to that. I think that speaks to the quality of the conversation so far. But, you know, what was the break after being at Nebraska for 10 years, you you touched on this a little bit, but what was the story of how you ended up uh, with the Brewers? So I had just built a house in Lincoln. Uh, we, we were getting ready to have our third child. We, we soon after that had our fourth child. And we built a, a new house, and we had really said we're going to put down, I mean, this is home, right? We're not leaving. And we weren't looking for anything. And then... Kevin Kugler called me on a Sunday afternoon. There was, I believe it was during the AFC championship game. We were watching the, the Broncos and the Patriots, I believe it was. And this would have been in 2016, in January of 2016. And he called me and he said, hey, the Brewers have a number three job open. And he said, I just think that's like perfect for you. And I know you're not really looking at other things, but I think you really need to think about this. This would be an amazing thing for your career. And so I got online and I looked it up. And At that point in time, it wasn't even really open yet because Joe Block was interviewing for the Pittsburgh Pirates job. And it was getting so close to spring training that the Brewers had to advertise for their number three just in case. Because if Joe Block got the, the number one job with the Pirates, then Jeff Levering was going to be promoted as the number two. He had my job that I have now at the time. So we, we, I looked at it and I said, yeah, no, this is one. This is, this is one that if I could get this job, got to do it. You know, it's Midwest. I, I didn't think I would even be interested in the major league job unless it was in the Midwest at that point in time. And it was Midwest. It kind of just checked all the boxes. I wasn't going to get a number one job you know, doing college baseball, but I thought I could maybe get a number three job potentially. So it just checked all the boxes at that point in time. And so I applied. And then at that point, I started doing some research on you know, who do I know that might have a connection with the Brewers? Who do I know that might have a connection with Major League Baseball? And my boss 
at the Husker Sports Network was a guy named David Witte, who then went to the athletic department to work for a while, and I was back running the Husker Sports Network uh, uh, radio network and, and, and all their sponsorship and everything else as the general manager. He had worked for the Royals for 21 years, and he happened to know uh, his counterpart at the Royals with the Brewers. And so he made a phone call, and I think that helped get my tape listened to. You know, they, they got inundated with so many tapes. And I think that helped kind of put me a little bit on the radar that they said, hey, we're going to give this guy a look. And then I got an email one day on signing day. We did a big show for Huskers.com for signing day in February of 2016. And Greg Sharp and I got done with that. And we went up to the radio booth and we were anchoring the Mike Riley signing day press conference at that point in time. And right before we were on the air, the open is playing. And I got an email and I look at my phone and it's from Tyler Barnes at the Brewers saying, hey, we'd like to get you lined up for a phone interview. We think you're a strong candidate for our job. And I turned and I held the phone to Greg and I showed it to him as we're getting ready to go on. Greg's face, I wish I had a picture of it. He was just like, his eyes got huge. And then we went on the air and we did our thing. And then we threw it to the, the press conference. And Greg turned to me right then. He goes, you're going to get this job. And I said, oh, I don't know. There's going to be other great candidates. He knows what's going to happen. And he goes, I got a feeling. He goes, I think I'm done working with you. And uh, lo and behold, then, you know, I flew up to Milwaukee a couple of weeks later for an in-person interview. And then I flew to Phoenix and, and met with Bob Euchre kind of at the very end of the process and had breakfast with him. And I got the job. And it was a, it was a dream come true. It was really surreal. It was hard to believe that that had happened. And I got emotional for a lot of different reasons when I got the Brewers job. Emotional because it was an amazing break in my career. Emotional because I, I, I was going to be sad to leave a place that I love so much in Nebraska and that had become such a home to me. Uh, I was going to be moving away from family and moving a young family to, a, to another part of the region. But I got emotional, too, because my, both my grandparents, uh, my grandfathers, were the biggest baseball fans I knew. And they, they really kind of helped get me started in my love for the game. And they're both gone now. And I just thought how excited they would have been to know that I was getting this opportunity to call Major League Baseball. Because if they could have picked one thing for me to do in my life, it would have been to broadcast Major League Baseball games. And so it was a really big moment. And it was a really cool thing. And then it got real, really fast. Cause like a week later I had to go to spring training and my wife had to pack up her house and we had to get it sold. And, you know, then you get distracted with all that stuff, but uh, an amazing moment in my career. And um, I'm so thankful it happened because uh, my, my time with the Brewers I'm going on my third season now has blown away what my expectations were. And that's, that's a pretty rare thing. I think in our business that something's better than you thought it was going to be. And, it's not hyperbole. That's exactly what this has been. Do you ever look back and wonder, you know, what if you had not taken that first internship in Omaha? Because, I mean, just the fortune of having Kevin Kugler, who's now a powerhouse in the industry, on his way up uh, before he was what he is now and have him in kind of in your back pocket to let you know about these things. How different do you think it would have been if you would have taken that that position a couple years later when he had moved on? I think about that, yeah, sometimes. Um, and, it, and and not just Kevin. I mean, Kevin 
Kevin is pretty much my best friend, and he has been more than he realizes been involved in all of my moves that I've made. You know, he's been the guy that's kind of tipped me off each time, and he always plays it. I don't want to talk about it, but he, he's been, and he's the guy I turn to for advice on everything because I just trust him, and I know he's got my best interest at heart. But I, I really should say there was another guy at 1620 The Zone at the time named Mark Cranach, who um, was the assistant program director at 1620. And, and he taught me so much from a hands-on standpoint. And I learned a ton from him, especially that first go-round as an intern at 1620. And he really took me under my wing and under his wing and mentored me in a lot of ways. And, and so I, I just, I have been so lucky in my career to have good people like that around me. And I don't think you get anywhere in this industry unless you have those people. And that's why it's important that guys like me now pay that forward and, and take the time with young broadcasters and spend time with them and listen to their stuff and give them critique. That's the only way we go in this industry. But had I not done that and, and not just that internship, but then had the, 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 I guess the foresight to keep in touch with Kevin to stay engaged with him and to continue to come back in the summers and help out when I could. And the other thing that helped in my relationship with Kevin that, that helped us stay close and become great friends, he was doing UNO Maverick um, football and basketball at that time. And I was doing USD Coyotes. So we would see each other because we were both covering games in the NCC. And it wasn't too long after that. Then of course, when I first got to Nebraska is when he got the Westwood one break, but, yeah, it, it is it is wild. I think that it's that way in a lot of things in life, but uh, <laughs> how kind of crazy it all came together with that first internship where I just kind of threw an email out and said, hey, would you guys be willing to let me come and do whatever for your station this summer, not knowing if they even really had one, and them responding and everything kind of going from there. Yeah, it is kind of wild to think back to that. See, you know, what, what would it have been like had I not done that? I'm glad I don't have to know. I'm glad that it turned out the way that it did. So you got your major league job. You mentioned, obviously, plenty of experience calling baseball in college. But I think it's pretty rare, and correct me if I'm wrong, for someone to move up through college and get right to the majors without stops in the minors. How unusual was that and... I guess, how were you prepared better or worse from that path? That's a, that's, I think the second part of that question is really good, Logan. Uh, so it's really rare. Uh, I have not across a ton of guys that have taken my path to Major League Baseball. There's a few that have, have somewhat similar paths. Matt LaPay, who's the voice of the University of Wisconsin, he does our TV on a fill-in basis when Brian Anderson's on assignment with some of his national gigs. And Matt had really never done any minor league baseball or anything like that. So it's, it, there are other examples of it, but you don't come across very many people that have my path to the majors. And the first year it was kind of tough sometimes because when you would meet people for the first time, you were always worried. Are they looking at you like, Hey, you're the, you're the college guy that's doing major league baseball now. But pretty soon you get past that, and you know now that I'm going on year three, it's really not a thought anymore. But I got a lot of questions of, well, how will you adjust to this game? Will you be able to keep up with this game because it's a lot faster? And 
there's no doubt it's a much different game than I think I even understood. Even though I watched Major League Baseball every night, all through the summer when I was doing college baseball, when you're actually on the microphone for it, it's a little bit different, and it's a different speed. It's a faster game. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen quickly, and you got to be ready for them. And there's a lot of things that happen that you maybe don't see at the collegiate level, just some, some different extraordinary plays that are less frequent at the collegiate level. So there were definite differences. But for me, what I felt like helped me coming straight from college to Major League Baseball that maybe some guys in the minors don't have as much experience with was that I was on a big network. Uh, Nebraska baseball is on a 22, 24 station network, somewhere in that number. I think it changes year to year, maybe give or take a station, but they're on a fairly large, one of the largest college baseball radio networks in the country. And they have a very engaged fan base that loves their baseball, that, that pays attention. And there's a lot of feedback on social media when you're doing Nebraska baseball. And so I, I had a fairly thick skin where I, I was used to some criticism. It didn't, that didn't overwhelm me. And I had done it on a fairly big stage where people were tuning in uh, and people were locked into what was going on. And so I felt like that, and I, in my Nebraska football experience, even though I wasn't doing play-by-play, being around Nebraska football and how big of a stage that is, I felt like those things really helped prepare me for when I called my first game at Dodger Stadium, you know, because the atmosphere was not too much for me. I, I was used to that kind of an atmosphere. And so I felt like that part was the, the positive of what I had done and the path that I had taken. But there's no doubt there were disadvantages to it, too. Um, you know, in minor league baseball, you get a lot more reps. You're calling a lot more games, a lot more innings, and you see a lot more things happen. And so that was probably the part where it didn't help me as much as if I would have gone the minor league route. So I think, you know, there's, there's pluses and minuses to both uh, some of the best broadcasters I know uh, not just in baseball, but in all sorts of sports, spent a lot of time in the minors honing their craft. And it, there's really no better where, no better place uh, and no better way to get reps and to really polish your skills as a broadcaster than, than going minor league uh, and, and putting in the years there. So I think everybody has a different story and a different route. Uh, mine was a really fun one and a really unique one, but I think there are advantages to the other way too. So, now, being with the Brewers, you work with Bob Euchre, who's one of the legends in the business for his play-by-play, for his time playing baseball, and even for his acting in Major League. Uh, I guess just what is it like working with Bob? We'll start there. Well, I get that question a lot, and I probably give a somewhat generic answer to it and the reason why I do is because there's really no great way to answer that and really capture what it is like. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's incredible. You pinch yourself sometimes that you're sitting in the booth with Bob while he's telling some of his great stories. And those things are all true, but that doesn't really capture what it is. One of the things I try to always keep in perspective is how unique of an opportunity this is. You know, there are very few people that get to spend as much time with Mr. Baseball with an icon in the game, one of our true national treasures, if you ask me, there's just very few people that get to do that. And how lucky am I that I get to? It's really not lost on me. I never get numb to it. I can't wait to get to the ballpark every day because I know we're going to laugh a lot. I, like, I, I don't know if the Brewers are going to win, 
but I know we're going to laugh a lot at some point during the day. And who doesn't want to show up to work when you know that's going to be at least part of the outcome, right? So it's been amazing, and he's been really good to me. Uh, you know, uh, when you're a legend like he is, and you've, you've broadcasted for 50 years, uh, this is going to be his 48th year with the Brewers. When, when you've done the things he's done, when you're in the Hall of Fame, you don't have to spend time with some young broadcaster, but he does. You know, we're friends, and we text, and we call in the offseason, and I came down here in November, and 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 to because he lives in Scottsdale in the offseason. I came down here in November and and saw him when I was down here for the Arizona Fall League to, to watch some of our prospects. And it's it's really crazy to think that you know you have a direct line to one of the real ambassadors of the game. But nobody loves the game more than Bob. He he loves this game so much. And when the game's tight, uh, we're pretty locked in. There's not a lot of joking around. It's about the game. But if the game goes one way or another, you know, we might hear some pretty funny stories and, and, and we might have a good time with it. And we have fun even when the game's tight, don't get me wrong, but, but we're, we're more focused on the game, obviously, at that point in time. So I've learned so much from him. I've learned so much about the game of baseball from him because he, he understands the game so well. And I've met so many people as a result of getting the chance to be in the booth with Bob. Uh, and, and of course I don't work many games with Bob. I've only called four games with him in my, my two plus years. Um, because I'm the number three, I called four games with him my first year, but I sit in the booth every night and I get to observe him and listen to him tell stories. But my first year in September, we were getting ready to go on a road trip and we had a local restaurant come kind of cater up a bunch of food in our booth and people were showing up and getting plates of food. And we're all having fun with it. And Bud Selig walked in and it was my first chance to meet the commissioner. And that was really cool. And that was solely because, you know, Bob and Bob being in the booth. And then Hank Aaron came to the booth that same night and Bob yelled from the back of the booth. He calls me Grinny and he said, Grinny. And then uh, Jeff, levering is my partner on the air that is bob's partner on the air the number two and he said grinny jeff come here and we walked to the back of the booth and he said i want you to meet henry and i've met a lot of people in this business i mean just naturally you're going to and a lot of big names and i'm somewhat numb to some of that uh i know that like my knees were shaking when i reached my hand out to to shake henry aaron's hand that was probably the most starstruck I've ever been around anybody in my career, because that's Hank Aaron. That's Hammer and Hank right there. And uh, you know, you, you get to work with Bob, you get to meet a lot of cool people, and so it's a really cool deal. And what's even better about it is how he treats us, and how loyal he is to us, and how he cares about our families, and how we've become a big family uh, with our booth. And uh, he sets the tone for that. Do you ever make jokes or drop lines from the major league movie to him? Not very often, actually. No, we don't. I mean, we talk about that movie a lot. Um, and, you know, I'll ask questions about filming it and different things. But, I mean, one of the things you do as a baseball broadcaster is you go to commercial break and you drop a line from major league. I mean, every guy does it. And so we don't do a lot of that. Um occasionally here and there, but there isn't as much of that as people might think. I, I'm sorry to disappoint people. <laughs> well, 
that's uh, still that is my dream for this podcast is to get Bob Euchre on here and to have him act as Harry Doyle for the entire for the entire interview. <laughs> that I that might would be cool, <laughs> no doubt about it. But uh, let's see, we are at an hour and seven minutes, and I think I told you we'd take an hour. Do you have a few more? Or yeah. You... yeah. Okay. You're good. So one of the things I like to ask everybody, and I'm especially interested to ask you because we've been some of the same places and we know some of the same people. What are some of your broadcast horror stories of just awful broadcast locations or equipment malfunctioning or you know anything that maybe mortifies you in the moment as a broadcaster, but in hindsight you can laugh at? And knowing the... Uh, the places that you went in South Dakota and some of the equipment that you probably were using at that yeah. time that hasn't changed <laughs> since then. Uh, I'm imagining you have some good ones. Yeah. And they all, they all revolve around 60 miles of where you're at right now. <laughs> you know, um, early on, we had some, some great horror stories. Um, just uh, some amazing things that happened. I, the, the one that I, that I remember the best and, and Jeff Colhane's involved in this one, we, we would do, <laughs> There's, this is kind of two parts to this story. So we would we would do a game of the week on KVTK, but we didn't have a place to put it because we did Bucks on KVHT 106.3 in Yankton, and we did the Vermilion Tanagers on 1570 The Ticket. So what we would do, and I didn't do either of those two teams, I would go do a high school game of the week the night before the USD game as long as USD was at home. So I, and, and we had a rotating cast of characters that we used as color guys. And some of those guys were just my college buddies. Um, but finally, when we got Jeff Colhane, we had, we had a guy that, that, you know, was a broadcaster to do the games with me. So Jeff and I would do these games and we would, we would go out and we would go to Bonham or to Minnow or wherever we would be a nine man game, an 11 man game, whatever we could find. And we would tape, we would tape a lot of these games, but we would tape into a cassette deck right there on site. And then they would be on a tape and we'd have a board off the next day, come in and play it the next morning. So those communities could hear the game. And it was always chaotic just to even set that stuff up to broadcast. And a lot of times we were doing it from the bleachers. I mean, we really were, we were doing it from the bleachers because there wasn't room for us in the, in the crow's nest or the press box, wherever we might've been. So that, that, that isn't like a specific story, but that was always just kind of wild. But then we would get like the playoff season and we would do games live. And Jeff and I were doing a game. I'm pretty sure this game was in, I, I'm trying to remember it was in Nebraska. I'm pretty sure it was in Newcastle. I'm fairly confident it was in Newcastle. And we got there and they didn't put the phone line in. So we had no phone line. We called the phone company. Going to be a while the, the uh, line activated. And so we had a, a, a bag phone to run like a cell cast on. So, well, no problem. We'll, we'll just run it off cell cast until they can get the phone line up and going. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no, no cell service. reception there now. So I don't want to know what it was yeah. like then. There was no service. So we couldn't get out. So not only could we not get the broadcast on the air, we had no way of telling the station that the broadcast wasn't going on the air. So I had a cell phone and I drove out 
of town on a country road and got up on top of a hill and was able to call and say, look, uh, we, we don't know how to hold this game on the air to start. So just stay, stay put, stay close. And when we get this connected, then we'll, we'll call you and we'll just have to pick it up. And so we honestly didn't start broadcasting that game until midway through the second quarter, if I remember correctly, because we just had no other way to get it on the air. Then uh, I, I told the story about you know doing baseball games from a van behind the chain link fence. Uh, that one was in, I believe that was in Akron, Iowa, that I did one of those. And then another one would have been in T, South Dakota. I did an American Legion game from a picnic table up the third baseline. And I actually was doing, it was a Vermilion game. And Ed Myrickord, who was the South Dakota football coach at the time, his son was playing in the game. And so he and his wife and their other son all sat at the picnic table while, while I called the game that day up the third baseline. Um, so there's, a, there, I mean, there's a lot of funny stories. I, um, trying to think of some of the gyms that I enjoyed the most. I mean, there was a couple of gyms that were just tiny gyms where you couldn't even shoot a three point shot from the corner because you were out of bounds that we did some games in where I, I did it from like a desk. You know, we just set a desk up in the stands and you would run a phone line like over to the stage and run it that way and then and then get the game on the air. Um, There's a lot of great stories like that. And you know what? I'm glad I experienced all of that. I think it's important for broadcasters to go through that, to, to engineer your own broadcast, number one, to troubleshoot some of those things. I think it helps you keep everything in perspective um, as you grow up in the business that you remember those times and remember and kind of chuckle at them that, hey, we always usually, outside of that story I told you in Newcastle, we always usually found a way to get on the air before first pitch or before the opening tip or the opening kickoff. There was a quote that I read from you in a news article. I don't remember which source it was from, but you said, describing radio, it's a blank canvas and you get to paint it. It's like being the Bob Ross of baseball. You get to paint in the pretty little trees. I just wanted to let you know I love that. And uh, I guess, what is your favorite way to paint those happy little trees in baseball? So I, I try to keep a couple things in mind when I call a game. And, and, and it's really not just baseball. It's any sport. My number one thing on the radio specifically is to be as accurate as possible. I think if you ever lose track of that, it's a disservice to the listener. Because the number one reason they are tuning in is not to listen to you but to know what the score is and what the situation is and be able to follow the game. And so I think it's really important that, that young broadcasters understand that. And, and I don't know that I got that right out of the gate. It was, you know, it's easy to let ego play a part in what you do. And I think we all have an ego to a degree or we wouldn't do this, but you can't let it dictate how you call a game. So for me, the most important thing is accuracy people being aware of what's going on and they're not having to ask themselves, what's the score? What's going on? What's the situation right now? I don't know where the ball is on the floor or on the field, whatever it might be. I want people to have a clear understanding of what's happening in the game. So that's, that's number one. Um, number two is we are there to entertain. It's not about us. And I think you got to check that ego at the door and hang it up on the coat rack or whatever. When you walk into the booth, I think that's really important. And it is important to understand that we're not, we're not really changing lives here. We're not medical doctors that are saving lives. We're broadcasting the game. It should be fun. When somebody makes a great play, we should be impressed by it. 
and we should we should have excitement in our voices when those things happen. So those are my two things. I think those are simple things that probably every other broadcaster in America tries to adhere to. You know, be accurate and be entertaining. Make it a fun listen. Um, so those are really the two things. Those are kind of simple answers. But I think if you can do those two things, you're going to continue to grow in this business, and you're going to get better each time you do it with each rep. And you're going to have, for the most part, people that enjoy listening to you because, again, the main reason they're listening is to know what's happening with their favorite team. And if they're listening and the broadcast sounds like it's about the guy that's doing the game on the air, that's probably going to turn them off. Who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to if you have a off day or whatever? Who are you tuning into both on a national basis and potentially some of the under-the-radar people in your region up in Wisconsin, and we'll include Nebraska as well. Yeah, well, I'll start in Wisconsin. I'm, I'm really lucky. I work with some of the best broadcasters in the country um, with the Brewers. Uh, I mentioned Matt Lepke earlier. I think he's tremendous on every sport that he does. He's become a good friend. Brian Anderson, of course, does TV for the Brewers, and he's one of the top broadcasters in the country right now uh, doing – doing the NLCS on Fox this past year and doing the right now he's in the middle of March madness doing uh, the NCAA tournament for CBS. And he does a lot of playoffs for the NBA. And, and of course uh, does our Brewers games in the summer summers. And he's, he's extremely talented clearly and has been a good mentor to me on, in a lot of ways on things. When I have questions, I can go to him and ask questions. I think I work with two of the best. I mean, nobody's ever done it. Like Bob does it. Nobody's ever done it for as long as Bob does it and has done it. And uh, he's extremely good. You know, everybody focuses on Bob as this guy that's funny that happens to call baseball, but it's really a guy that's really good at calling baseball that happens to be. And I think uh, his ability to to do do it in the style he's done it is really it's it's amazing. And then of course Jeff Levering is one of the really bright young broadcasters in the game. I mean his his resume in the offseason continues to grow he's getting more and more assignments with big 10 network and fox sports and all sorts of stuff and he's he he just two years younger than me and i've learned a lot from him working in this business with him so um we're really lucky to have some great broadcasters that, that i get to work with at the brewers and it's helped me grow um i told you how good i think greg Sherman is. I think he's one of the best college announcers in the game and obviously, Kevin Kugler is who I've modeled so much of my career after. I mean, that's the guy I've always listened to and said, I want to be like him. Um, and a lot of people tell me that, that there's some similarities. That they, that we sound a little bit alike, which I take as a huge compliment when they tell me that. Um, beyond my little bubble uh, of people that I know and work with, guys nationally that I like to listen to, uh, I've always had a, a big respect for Dan Schulman. I think he's really good. Al Michaels is probably my goat, so to speak. He, he's the, he's the best one to me, uh, that I really enjoy. Um, I loved Keith Jackson. Uh, sorry that we lost him not that long ago. Uh, Keith Jackson, every time I heard his voice in a football game, I knew it was something big, you know, was going to happen. So I really enjoyed him a lot. Uh, thought he was outstanding as well. I think Boog Shambi is one of the best baseball play-by-play guys in the country and, and really undervalued nationally with his talent. I mean, I could go on. There's so many really talented broadcasters in the game. I think Joe Buck is great. Um, I think he's really talented, and people don't give him credit for his ability to go back and forth between football and baseball and be so good at the big events in both of those 
Um, Matt Vaskersian, I think, does a really nice job and has his own unique way of doing it, too. So there's just so many great ones, and we're lucky. We're in a, in a really good era where there's a lot of great broadcasters out there um, that, that all have their own unique styles. And we're probably past the days of guys like that are my age ever becoming the legendary announcers like Bob is, like Vince Scully was, you know, was and, and really still is. Um, those days are probably gone. I don't think that the play-by-play guy is ever going to have that kind of a, a importance to the game where the fans have that kind of an affinity for them uh, in the future. But I think that doesn't mean that there aren't really talented broadcasters that uh, are doing great things in our industry because we have countless and just numerous ones out there right now. Well, Lane, I really appreciate you coming on. How would somebody reach out to you if they wanted to do so? Uh, They can follow me on Twitter. That's probably the best way. Um, It's just at Lane Grindle. Um, That would be the best way for somebody to, to reach out to me. Um, if I don't follow you back, you can hit me up and I, and I can give you a direct message back, but that's, I have that with me almost all the time. It's a bad addiction, but I think we're all kind of addicted to it to some degree. Once again, we are talking with the number three voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, Lane Grindle and Lane. Thanks so much for coming on. Logan, I appreciate it. I love what you do with this podcast and it was a pleasure to be on it. This has been the say the damn score podcast. Please subscribe to the show and any or all of its social media platforms by clicking on the big red subscribe button on SayTheDamnScore.com. I also appreciate iTunes reviews or any kind of honest feedback that can help me make the show even better. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to Say The Damn Score a little bit more.